Hello and welcome to Flatris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Barbarian Alien by Ruby Dixon. This is number two in the Ice Planet Barbarian series and it was originally published in 2015 but Berkeley has been coming out with these special editions with bonus epilogues and lots of other bonus content. And this one was just released on January 25th, 2022. And full disclosure, we did receive a free copy from NetGalley. So, should we just read the book jacket or do you want to talk about? I, I think just in case anyone's forgotten, um, we reviewed the first book in this series um, November, in November, so mm -hmm. pretty recently, and it's the one with the gigantic blue aliens who are having sex with women who are abducted by other aliens. Right. These are the nice mm. aliens who also have sex toy accoutrement. Yeah, I've been calling them sentient dildos. Yes. So, so if you're wondering, yes, we have reviewed the first book, and if that summary didn't spark your memory, I don't know what to tell you, because yeah, it's definitely the only sentient dildo book we reviewed. You can also re-listen to that episode, you know? Check it out if you missed it. I mean, the sad thing is, though, there's not a whole lot of plot here, so uh, it's not like you'll need to jog your memory on what happened. The plot is not the point. Obviously. <laughs> so the jacket. Liz Kramer swears she'll find a way off this alien planet she's stuck on. Then she meets Rahush, the surliest and stubbornest alien who won't leave her alone, and she just might be okay with that. Twelve humans are left stranded on a wintry alien planet. I'm one of them. Yay me. In order to survive, we have to take on a symbiont that wants to rewrite our bodies to live in this brutal place. I like to call it a cootie. And my cootie's a jerk, because it also thinks I'm the mate to the biggest, grumpiest alien of the bunch. Rahosh believes the cootie's right, so he steals me away from the group, determined to make me fall for him or else. He has no idea who he's up against. And if I didn't want his insufferable self so much, thanks cootie, I'd let him know exactly what I'm thinking. As it is, I'm doing my best to fight this instant attraction. Just because the symbiont thinks we're supposed to be together doesn't mean I have to go along with it. And if we fool around a little, it's merely biology. It doesn't mean I'm in love or that I'm destined to be his. I feel like I, I didn't realize I was going to be reading in Liz's voice. I really need to do some method acting. <laughs> I started and I was like, oh no, wait. Um, I have to say, I think this jacket captures Liz's mindset really yeah. well. And in contrast to the review we did earlier this week, for all that these are very plot what plot, and the first book was also about a human woman abducted by aliens and then saved by a blue alien, and they had to live alone in caves off the landscape, yep. I felt like Liz's voice was really distinct from Georgie's. <laughs> yes! I, I agree with you. I, you know what? Like, the, if... If you're looking for a one-handed read about blue aliens, this is where you need to go. I mean, even if it's not about blue aliens, if you just want to read a really fun, ridiculous book about getting it on with a hot guy, yeah. probably a good place to go. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed this one. It's definitely more of the same of the first one. So if you like that, you'll like this. Yeah. And I don't mean that negatively. Like, no. this is a consistent series for sure. Um, so as usual, we generated a random number and then wrote our own summary using that number as a word count. And this week, that number is 25. So Meg, take it away. All right. Finished Ice Planet Barbarians, 
No need for pesky setup, just essentials. Getting it on with our blue alien faded mates whose deepest desire is cunnilingus. That's just such a recurring theme that somehow for the men, their mates come is like the greatest thing in the world. It's amazing. <laughs> You're like, okay. I'm not gonna, I am not going to argue with this lane. No, it's, I mean, first of all, it's logical. Totally. So that makes sense. Okay, so my 25 word summary. Liz accepts that if you're stuck on an inhospitable planet, your best bet is to give in to the sentient dildo who's obsessed with you. I mean, where's the lie? It's her survival strategy. Her survival is at play, exactly. Very good point. I mean, the, the big trope, I think, of this entire series is faded mates. Right, and it's interesting because the faded part is caused by the symbiont. Right. And so it does lead to a little questioning, like, is it innate to you? Like, does this know something about you that even you don't? Or, and they figured out to the extent that they figured anything out, because if you recall from the first book, the blue aliens also are not native to this planet, which is why they need the symbiont to survive. That the symbiont's desire is mating it, the survival of the species, I guess. Right, but it doesn't necessarily connote affection. Right. So it's very, it's an interesting concept. I think the thing that I struggled with with this one a little bit more than the first mm -hmm. is actually like this one, the first one was a lot more about immediate survival. Right. And this one problematizes a lot of really valid things and calls out a lot of valid things that are really fucked up about their situation. Like, I feel like with Georgie and Vectel's book, you were like, okay, how are they going to survive? Are they going to escape their alien captors? With this book, it becomes like, the reality is they are stuck on this planet. And the fact that they are even more inclined to view women as property because of their scarcity. Yeah. The fact that, you know, the symbiont maybe is taking free will away to yeah. a degree. Like those things I thought were a natural extension of the circumstances, but it made me feel a little more squicky than Vectel and Georgie's relationship did. Yeah. I think the other big trope for me here is that it's a beauty in the beast retelling, which I didn't realize until I thought about it more later, but I think it may be one of the better ones that we've read recently. I, I'm thinking about this because I've read, I mean, if you read romance, you read a lot of Beauty and the Beast retellings. Like a lot. <laughs> like a lot. And so I've been, I've read a few recently and I've been thinking about it. And anyway, so Rahosh, is that, I guess that's how we're going to say it. Rahush, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of vowels, you guys. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> he, he's all scarred up and he's also an alien virgin because... Yeah women are so scarce and none of them are like, yeah, I want to be with the violent, grouchy, scarred up dude. And by scarce, we mean before the humans showed up, there were four women. <laughs> like, and a lot more, the, the ratios were not good. So anyway, he steals her away. He's like, I'm going to steal her away and we're going to be alone together. And then basically he's like, forced proximity is going to make her love me. Well, and she tries to flee from taking the symbiont. Yes. And if she doesn't have it, she will die. Right. And so he sort of makes the decision for her that she needs to get this in her sooner rather than later. But in doing so, knows she will then be affected by the pull of the faded mates too. Yes. But... 
Anyway. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. The Beauty and the Beast part, I, I think it was a fun adaptation because it picked in shows, but in a way that made sense. Yeah. So, like, obviously, Belle doesn't have a father, and there isn't the... He's literally cursed along with the rest of his people, but he's a black sheep of society who was othered as a small child. Mm-hmm. You know, he's surly and scary and clearly needs the power of love to redeem him. Mm-hmm. You know, he kidnaps her and keeps her away from everyone else, and there is a little bit of resistance but Stockholm Syndrome going on with her. Oh, 100%. So it's, I think it's a really fun... It doesn't over, try to overdo the Beauty and the Beast retelling, which exactly. I think makes it really work here. Exactly. The right. relationship dynamic clearly is modeled off of it, but it's not trying to, like, make some of the weird, creepy, sentient plants the equivalent of Mrs. Potts. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's it, it's just the basics of the story. Yeah. Um. So there's also um, her comfort. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah, yeah. She is obviously initially incredibly sickly when he finds her and puts the symbiont in her because she's been, you know, she survived an alien spaceship crash and then is on an inhospitable planet. Yeah, she so she was starving, freezing, and then... Broken all, toes. Broken toes, and then also just dying because she didn't have the symbiont. Right, because she couldn't really respirate. <laughs> breathe yeah. but I, like that implies she was literally choking it was like right, right, slowly right. killing her yes 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 um, that's why I was like picking the more formal word even though they mean the same thing because I was trying to come up with a conjugation anyway um, and then later on because they're like living on their own in the wilderness uh, he gets injured and she has to the script gets flipped and mm-hmm. she has to take care of him and of course trope uh, in the moment where he is closest to death, she promises to fuck his brains out if he makes it. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, she makes good on this promise. But I just, near-death sex pledge is like... Right? Usually in romance <laughs> novels that Megan and I typically read because we like historicals, you get the near-death like lo- admission of love. Admission of love or realization of love. Here, no. She's like, come you, back to me. You can't die on me, but I figured out we need to be yes. together. And she's like, not committed to him for life at this point, but she's like, why have I been holding out on this magnificent dildo? She's like, situation? fine, I'll fuck you as long as you can move. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So I personally liked this one better than the first. And I, it, I captured that in my summary just because I didn't have to read through all the setup. Mm-hmm. I think in general... If you're looking at, like, superhero movies or even if you're looking at, like, mysteries, the first one, the origin story, is always a little bit weaker than the rest, in my opinion, just because you're establishing the character and you have to get into it. And then the next few, you really get the sense of these these heroes or these people that you're going to be living with for the next series. My dad and I have this conversation a lot because he actually really prefers origin stories to what subsequently comes next. I think I'm Mm 50-50. Like, I think there have been a lot of origin stories I've read or watched in my life where I felt like the sequels ultimately let down on the potential of the first. But I agree with you that when I really love one and it's a really well done series, I typically like the later ones where you sort of don't have to go through the world building to the same extent. And that is definitely the case here. I think what I struggled with is twofold. One, like, because of all the problematized stuff being called out, I kind of found myself hoping some of them could get away. Yeah. Like, I, I, maybe not, and Liz's 
decision to go from, okay, I'm happy to use you as a sex, I resent this, to I'm happy to use you to a sex doll, to I'm actually in love with you and ha- I'm happy with my fate, did feel a little bit irrational, especially the last transition from sex doll to in love with this dude. And, like, you felt like she, okay, kind of has Stockholm Syndrome. And so, it, like, it just felt a little squickier than the first one did in terms of, like, really understanding how little free will everyone involved in this situation has. Well, I think it's interesting, too, because in a lot of kidnapping romances, when you read it, you can sort of recognize the Stockholm Syndrome. But they still have a choice at the end. Yes. Like, I can leave this guy. I can go back to my life. They just don't want to. And here, you don't have that choice. Right, like her option would be to live at this alien compound where she knows no one as a single woman with a baby. Right. Or to be with him. Mm-hmm. Like those are her choices, neither of which are free will. Yeah. That said, I was like, yes, there are, there are issues, but I'm going to choose to ignore them. Oh, yeah. And, and I, and I think, I want to be very clear. I thought... Rahush and Liz were fun. Yeah. Like, I liked their dynamic. When the two of them were alone together, I was pretty much along for the ride. And I do think there are parts of their relationship that I enjoyed more than Georgie's and Bechdel's. It's the bigger world building that, like, got in my head at some point. And I went, oh, I just kind of feel really bad for everybody. Absolutely. Well, I didn't put this in tropes, but in my opinion, this is kind of an interesting take on it. It's not... Sunshine Grump. Well, because Liz is not sunshine. It's like Grump Grump. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> this was awesome. I actually like, I love, I really liked Liz as a character. Yeah. And I think one of the things that Ruby Dixon is doing so well here, I mentioned that I thought Liz and Georgie sounded really distinct from one another. Vectel and Roche didn't. But I thought that made sense. Like, you're getting both of their thoughts to a degree in a language that isn't their own. Right. Like, so they're kind of limited in how they can articulate themselves, and they both grew up in such an isolated environment. Well, and Rahush got a lot of his information about the humans from From Vectel. So, like, I think all of that worked really, really well for Mm -hmm. me. Um, But so it was interesting to see the two different manifestations of Grump. Like yes. Liz with all of her language and yes. all of her expression and Roche with the complete absence of his. Well, they are, they're two different flavors of Grump. Yes. Because Liz is like, I'm just going to talk about everything that's pissing me off. I don't care if you can under. She doesn't even think she can understand her at the beginning. And uh-huh. she's just like, I don't fucking care. Like, I'm just going to unload. And he's the, he's the silent grump who just like sits there and sulks. Well, and what a trope saying all the awful things you're thinking, thinking no one can hear you or understand you. And then it's like, I speak English, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It was, I really liked it. I did too. (laughs) It was really funny. That's the other thing about these books is they're very, very funny. Oh yeah. She does a really good job with the humor. And I, I will say this one um, is a lot less explicit on the sexual assault front and like what happened to the women on the spaceship. It's yeah. Sort of a, so if, if that was a real deterrent from you for you from checking out the first one, I think this is a much more palatable. Yeah. And I, I think I think you could enter the series here. I don't know what you think, Lane. I mean, I think you're missing a lot if you do. Like why they're truly stuck, um, other than just the symbiote and that sort of thing. But. The plot matters so little here that I don't think you'd miss much. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so yes, yeah, so Rahosh kidnaps her, which is super taboo. You are not allowed to endanger a female's life. And well, my eyes are like actually looking out the back of my head. They're rolling so far. So, yeah. So, yeah. so when they eventually, she falls in love. Well, of course, they're, they're in only one bed in the cave and the forced proximity and the kidnapping and all the tropes stuck together. She falls in love. And then, of course, that's when she, they get discovered. Because he wanted to keep her in a cave until she gave birth. And then was, like, bound to him with his child. <laughs> Which, Roush, come on, man. Come yeah, on. I mean, that's always been my biggest issue with these books, is the, like... The babies. The bare, barefoot and pregnant lust. Yeah. Which is icky. It is. I, I think it would be interesting... I don't know if we're going to continue. I, I think we probably will continue to read these. I don't know at what pace. But I think there are going to be some books where they're not Fated Mates. And I would be interested to read one of those. Where the, the, the Kui, the Sakui, the Kudi. It's the K-H-U-I. Kui? The Kui. It's not forcing their, yeah. their desire, their attraction. Right. And, and to a degree, like... How much can you criticize a pre- like people falling in love or finding relationships in isolated circumstances? You know what I mean? Like, fu- like fundamentally, this is the reality. Right. They can't get off, or they haven't. They at least don't think they can. Well, Lane, they can get off. Ha ha ha! <laughs> they can get off the planet. Yeah. Um, or at least they think they can't. No one's really tried to look into it. <laughs> Well, there's like a fucking spaceship. Right, a down spaceship with, with working technology and no one's like, wonder if we can reverse engineer this thing. Or like, send out a communication mm-hmm. yeah. or a distress call. No one's tried any of that mm-hmm. yet. So who knows if they will. But well, like, how I much think they... the spaceship did tell them that like, oh, now I'm out of batteries, powering down. No, it didn't. <laughs> they can still go and get language stuff there. Liz at the end is like, I'm going to go learn to speak oh alien. <laughs> so yeah, that's... um. It, it, I, I can't really criticize the point of the books being they're making the best of a bad situation. Right. I think this one just really drove home for me how bad the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, uh, one other small criticism, which like I sort of was willing to hand wave away, but I have to call it out. So Rahush, his mother was like kidnapped by his dad and then died and his sibling died. And he's like a super sad, tragic orphan. His mm-hmm. father was like exiled and then probably died in exile. Well, and I thought, man, toxic family patterns are just repeating themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Liz presents herself as this really like well-adjusted person who had this really wonderful life in comparison to him she has all these great memories with her dad and then over the course of the book it becomes apparent that her mom died when she was like a small child and her dad died when she was 17 she's like i have all these memories i'm like you were in fucking high school you weren't even an adult like her perception of herself as like had this full wonderful life before the planet when she's 20 fucking two i'm like these characters needed to be 30. I am sorry. Well, I actually don't mind the 22 part because I'm like, yeah, she's the, this is the time in your life where you're like, all right, yeah, I'm going to adapt to this shit. Well, and fair. And I get that they <laughs> I all, was 30. they all uh-huh. need to have like stuff they didn't leave behind or yes. you feel too bad for them. But I just like her internal narrative of like, she had this easy, happy life. Well, and part, what? Of, part of her easy, happy life was, like, she hunted and fished and did all this cool outdoorsy shit with her dad, which is, I mean, you have to have a character like this if you're going to be on a survivalist planet. 
Again, though, she has been on her own since she was probably a junior or senior in high school. That mm-hmm. is not like an easy, happy, no. yay situation. No, it's not. And that's never articulated. Yeah. Like you kind of have to reverse do the math to be like, wait, she was fucking 17. Right. And no, that's not cool. Yeah. I, one of the things I also liked about this is that she does get these situations and she does follow them through to a conclusion. Yes. So, um, he kidnaps Liz, which is greatest transgression of society. He gets found. And then instead of just being like, well, I guess you guys fell in love. That's cool. He gets kind of banished. Yeah. And I loved how Liz dealt with it. I was really into her, how she took revenge in quotation marks. <laughs> well, it was great. I just, and it was also her questioning stuff, not just for herself, but for other people. But I love the moment where he's like, you know, are you escaping? And she was, well, that's, that implies you're keeping me prisoner. So. Uh Yep. It was like, yeah, because they fucking are. No, but anyway, I I thought it was really good too to have, to have a character who, who makes those questions. And we've talked about it before. On the one hand, Yes, it makes you aware of all of the issues. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the fact that Ruby Dixon is acknowledging that there are issues makes you appreciate the book more. Absolutely. All right. Trigger warnings? She gets kidnapped. Yeah. She gets forced to take on this symbiote that she doesn't want to. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, consent issues, (laughs) and that gets exacerbated for me, and this was the one thing that diminished the sexiness for Mm -hmm. me. She does a lot of no means yes. Yes, she does. And you are in your head, so you know it means yes, but Roche thinks no means yes because he's learning the language because he's, through le- her. he's learning from her that when she says no and then she grabs my head and puts it between her thighs like so sh- when she says no she actually wants me to do this right and she at one point liz realizes that she's kind of created this con- confusion in him but then it's never really dealt with and there's never a conversation about yeah you know consent yeah and so thematically, that, that created a, a real through line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, the fact that Ruby Dixon points it out, you're kind of like, okay, well, she knows what she's, she, she knows what she's doing. Right, and it all sort of just gets hand-waved away because, like, they're fated mates and now they're life partners or mm-hmm. whatever, but they still never truly developed a healthy communication system. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> but um, was it sexy? I mean, he's a sentient dildo who loves going down on her, who has a dildo for a tongue. So that's a yes. It's extremely explicit. <laughs> it's very explicit. It's pretty sexy. The books are short enough that you can sort of binge them in one evening. Mm-hmm. But there's so much sex that you're like, oh, my God. Like, maybe I need to spread this out a little bit. <laughs> I think if you read them too fast, though, the sex scenes do all sort of start to get repetitive, well, so it might be good to take a break. That's what I'm saying, is, like, after, like, real, you need to take breaks, because otherwise, you're like, I just read a whole big swirl of, like, sex and a little bit of kidnapping. <laughs> what happened? Sex with the side of kidnapping. FYI, he is a virgin. Yeah, but it's, we talk a lot about 
how, especially in Victorian society, part of the reason Meg loves virgins is because it lo usually points to like a moral principle. Yeah. About women not being property, and right. that's really attractive. Rouge is just a virgin because there are four women. <laughs> he's a virgin because there are four women, and he think he also thinks, and it's probably true. It's because he's ugly. He's all scarred up. He lost. He's like one of his horns broke off. But he's also been like living on his own for the most part, hunting outside of society, and hasn't really given any of the women a chance to be into him, even before they all got queed or whatever. Queed. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be a verb? Uh, I don't know. But they got queed anyway. I don't know when the blue guys get their queed. From birth, right? That was yeah. That's what I time. thought. Like so. as very very small babies. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. But so then, is it like, do the, does their quee start to vibrate? I assume it's like At tied puberty to hormones. Or, okay. Yeah. When they're ready to get pregnant. Yeah. If it's a mating specific thing, I would assume it's once you are sexually yeah. capable. I mean, it would be interesting to really follow it to its logical conclusion, which is your quee vibrates with one person one time. And then after you have a baby, it's going to vibrate with someone else. Especially because of the needed genetic diversity of this yeah, population. That's what I'm saying. I'm assuming that's not going to happen because that is not romantic. They also seem to imply that the aliens think you can only get pregnant with someone you've queed with. Yeah. And they're assuming that the humans, like, they're queen with them because they're super fertile, which has been the case so far. But it'll be interesting to see interested, interesting to see if in a future book, if Meg's right and some of them are about people who aren't, like, fated mates, if human fertility is, it, is, is it sufficient to, to the... overcome mm -hmm. whatever fertility issues the species yeah. has had up to this point. So we're obviously continuing with these. Um, I just need to point out one thing. Point it out. So the blue alien men in this book are obsessed with doggy style. <laughs> right? And they say it's because of the tails the women have. Yeah, like they, they have never been able to get it on doggy style From within behind. their own race. Which my only, I just need to say this, dogs have tails. <laughs> like tails are not a hindrance. Too doggy style. <laughs> and um, I don't understand how this anatomy thing is happening. And it's a little bit confusing, but I also don't actually care. Good point. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us on this um, Ice Planet Barbarians ride. Yeah. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet at Platris.